What happens when you've lived all around the world because of where your parents have lived and moved and you're originally from Australia and your dad eventually parks you in Los Angeles and you go to Beverly Hills High School, 90210, and you grow up and you have wonderful connections and you're just a lovely person. What do you do? Well, Kathy Sharp Ross started her own business right out of school and she is the CEO and president of the Sharp Alliance. And she does branding, market strategy, and everything you can think of So integrated business, brand building, marketing, production, uh, sponsorship, strategic alliances, social media, branded entertainment, partnership campaigns for giant, giant, giant events. And she's been doing it for 25 years. And she's also watched her friends and her workers get to that point in their life where they think, yeah, this is great, but I got to do something else. Or something has changed in their lives and it's time to do something else. And so Kathy set out to find out why people do that and how they do it. And she wrote a fabulous book called Reinvent Your Life, which just came out and it has interviews with women and men. I'm in there, I will admit. I'm an old friend of Kathy's. And she just has great, great tools for actual reinvention. She really dug deep and did the research. And she has the stories to follow up. So I'm really excited that we have Kathy Sharp Ross, and she's going to talk about the actual tactics about how you reinvent yourself and also her own reinvention with that lovely accent she has. So here she is. So welcome, my good friend, Kathy. I'm so glad we finally get to talk and have it out in public. We talk so often in private that I love the public aspect. It's really exciting to be able to do this together. And just, you know, you and I have always bonded and spent so much time talking about the subject of reinvention. So it's a great, it's a great opportunity to do this together. Thank you. So let's start with a little bit of your history, because you've reinvented a couple of times. Um, First of all, people are going to wonder about that accent. Where does it come from? Um, So tell (laughs) us a little bit about your past and how you got to where you are now, and then we'll talk about the book after that. Well, I was born in Melbourne, Australia, so you may hear a tinge of an accent, probably not as much as I would like. But I was a lucky kid. My parents loved to travel and I lived around the world, but I started my journey in Australia for the first 10 years of my life. And I ended up here in LA. So the world has always been a very big and very interesting place for me. And I was fortunate growing up that I didn't really grow up with a box around the parameters of my life. I knew that there was a lot out there. It made me very curious and very adventurous at a very young age, which probably explains a lot of how I've lived my life now. And uh, I, long story short, after college, started my own business. So at the age of 24, I decided that I did not want to work for anybody, that I was sort of this free spirit, probably because of the way I'd grown up. And I started a public relations agency 
And that very quickly evolved into a PR and marketing company. And every time I looked around me, I saw opportunities to do more with my clients. And I just started adding different disciplines and verticals to the company and really became more of a full service marketing event, sponsorship, branding agency. And it went through a lot of different incarnations or reinventions as we really now refer to so much of what we do. But it's been 31 years of running my own business at this point in my life, which is pretty special. Talk a little bit about the level of the kind of events you do so people understand um, that, you know, like you're doing the mega huge, like just mention like one or two of the biggest things you've done. Yeah. So I've had the privilege of working on several Super Bowl events with major brands like Coca-Cola and other clients. I have worked on the World Cup soccer, World Cup 94, doing 200 events in 120 markets in 90 days around the country, Um, global film festivals, global business conferences, luxury travel and hospitality industry events, women's conferences. So among other things, these are some of my proudest and probably most exciting moments and probably the best ever, which led to something quite relevant now is I had the privilege of working with Quincy Jones on a massive concert about 11 years ago in Rome called We Are the Future, which was the sequel to the song We Are the World. And funnily enough, the book that I've just released called Reinvent Your Life, What Are You Waiting For? I had Quincy Jones write the forward for my book for me. So it's kind of lovely to see all my worlds converging that way. So very LA. How did you end up in LA? What drew you to LA to start with? Well, I was uh, 14 years old and my father was in real estate and land development. and We'd been living overseas um, and it was the mid 70s. It was the real estate boom. And he kind of, you know, took his finger and said, okay, where are we going next? Where would it be fun? And we ended up in Beverly Hills and the schools here were probably the best in the nation at the time. And so between the combination of real estate in L.A., and the schools in Beverly Hills, my parents decided it would be a great place for us to spend some time, and we never left. <laughs> Did you have that 90210 experience? Did you go to the oh, yeah. local school? Oh, do tell just a, Hills. <laughs> a, a little story about that, because you don't seem like okay. that type to me, or what I would expect. Well, it was Beverly Hills 90210 and then some. And I have to say, watching that show was just a, you know, quite, quite comical because I could see all my friends and all of our lifestyle in it in so many ways. I don't think we had the peach pit, but other than that, you know, we had our local spots. But I will tell you so cliche, I was actually a cheerleader at Beverly Hills High School. And, you know, that, that to me, just uh, now that I look back on it and I still have a picture of the cheerleading squad in my bedroom and it just makes me smile. And the funniest thing is, I mean, we were Australian. I went to my parents one day and I said, guess what? I'm going to be a cheerleader. And they just looked at me and said, what is that? (laughs) I had no idea what that was, but it was pretty amazing. I will say my first day of school Um, A very big celebrity's daughter went to school with me, and it was literally my first day ever in school in in Beverly Hills. And we were sitting out in the front courtyard having lunch. This man walks up and hands his daughter a brown paper bag and says, Katie, you forgot your lunch. And I looked up, and it was Robert Wagner. 
And at the time, Heart to Heart was on television. So I knew exactly who he was because I'd been watching it all summer when we had just arrived. And I just thought, wow, welcome to my new life. This is kind of crazy. So yeah, lots of friends that are in the industry, as they say, but they're like all of us. They just put their pants on one leg at a time. So, you know, the gloss kind of, you know, disappears after a while. So talk a little bit about, so you've had your own agency for a long time and talk a little bit about what led you to write a book about reinvention. What, what moved you in that direction? So I've been very fortunate most of my life to really love doing what I do for a living. And I've made a living doing what I love. And that's quite unusual. Not a lot of people get to do that. It's, you know, truly a special thing when you can wake up every morning saying, wow, what do I get to do today? You go to bed, can't wait to wake up tomorrow morning. And I'd spent a good 20-ish years doing that, working with great clients, traveling a lot, really having a lot of fun with what I do, working hard 24-7. There's not been a day in my life since I think I was 18 years old, maybe younger, that I haven't worked. But I realized that I was quite fortunate that I was living this life and people kept reminding me of it. So I was having dinner with a friend one night and, you know, I said, people say I'm very lucky, but actually I made the conscious decision to do what I want with my life and then set out to do it. And I guess a lot of people don't realize that they're entitled to do that. They sort of get through college, they take jobs, they wake up 10 years later saying, I'm happy, am I unhappy, trying to figure out what's, what their life is about. I was sort of in front of that conversation and decided to forge my own path in a way that would make me happy at all times. And I feel very strongly about that. And I feel that we're all entitled to have that happiness. Some of us have maybe have a harder time identifying what that was. But for me, it was very important. So when I realized this, I thought, you know what? I'm going to talk to a lot of other people. I'm going to find out. It feels like not a lot of people are where they want to be in their lives. I started interviewing people, having conversations, and decided to write a book that would capture their stories and help people identify with others and think, if he can do it, I can do it. If she can do that, I can do that. And I didn't want it to be hugely famous and successful people that kind of felt, you know, unattainable. I wanted to wanted it to be everyday successful people, successful in what they had accomplished, not famous on the cover of magazines and celebrities per se, but really good stories that people could relate to. So give us an idea or two about, say, like the two most interesting people who you interviewed and what you learned about their journey when you interviewed them. Yeah. Um, One story that I love is a gentleman named Brad Jakeman. Brad was the president of PepsiCo Global Beverages. His story is quite interesting because he's always been a huge corporate career guy. Um, very much at the top of his game and really started to look at his life and an exercise that he and I both really connect on that we should all put ourselves through is identifying what you value in your life and where you're spending your time. And a friend of his at the time where he was just sort of feeling this little twinge of restlessness said to him, why don't you do that? Sit down, make a list of everything that you value in your life 
and where and how you're spending your time. And really track it over two to three weeks. Take your time, really be honest with yourself and start to make these columns and take a look at whether or not what you value aligns with where and how you're spending your time. And when he got done with that, he realized that they were not aligned and that he wasn't living his true north, that he wasn't being true to himself. And that's where all of this discord was coming from that he was feeling. So it was a very big aha moment for him. He had this realization that things should be different in his life. And he took a step back and he said, I'm going to step out of corporate America and I'm going to step out of this job and I'm going to go discover what else is out there for me at this point in my life. And I love that because I think none of us stop long enough to listen and be that honest with ourselves. You know, we feel like we have to have that job. We have to have that title. We get comfortable and complacent with all the luxuries that we've created around us. And so many people in that position really aren't happy with their lives and what they're doing. So I love that story because I think at some, to some degree, we can all be doing that and should all be doing that. Do you have an assessment in the book that allows you to do that? Or is there an assessment we can find somewhere? Because you talk Absolutely. about Absolutely. Yeah. Right. I have 26 power tools in the book that refer to all different ways to identify who we are, what our passions are, what gives us joy, the little things, how to listen to one ourselves. There's a power tool, which is number 17, called debunking your excuses. So we all make excuses for why we don't need to change anything in our lives. And it does have three columns. What I'd like more of in my life, my excuse for not doing so up until now. And if I had more X, I would blank. So that is one of many, but yes, and I think it's really important. I mean, one of the most important things that we can do is start listening to ourselves a little more. Do you think we just get on the treadmill and so we just stop reassessing, right? We're just, you, I think, yeah, you just, the daily life has so much momentum that you don't have time to even think about, am I even running in the right direction, right? Right. Well, you don't have time, but so many people don't feel that they're entitled. I mean, think about it. We're raising children. We're taking care of parents. We are in service to our jobs. We're in service to so many things except for ourselves. And we all sort of have this awakening 20, 30 years later. And I'm trying to get in front of that. I'm trying to help people get in front of them, in front of it. I've been fortunate that I've lived my life doing exactly what I wanted to do at every juncture. I've never been a victim of a bad boss, a bad situation as an agency. I have had hundreds and hundreds of clients over the years. I have fired clients that don't fit into my model of life. If I couldn't pick up my children from school at three o'clock because a client had problems with that, I'd let them go. That was too important to me. And running your own business, you really should get to call the shots. So I think people need to feel that entitlement in the most positive way. And it doesn't mean blow up your life in service of, you know, running the new chocolate shop that you may want to do, but it means start putting a roadmap together 
to what you want your life to be. Start identifying the things that would make you happy. And it may take you 10 years. I mean, reinventions can be five-minute reinventions, and they can be 10-year reinventions that you really plan and map out in a way that does not blow up your life or the life of those around you. Who else was inspirational to you who you interviewed besides Brad? Uh, Diana Nyad, the unbelievable swimmer who swam from Cuba to Florida, who has the most unbelievably positive attitude about everything in life. And when I met Diana, she actually became a client of mine. And when I met her, we actually had um, an opportunity to talk. What I thought was going to be a 30-minute meeting became a a two-and-a-half-hour meeting. But she is a reigning example, someone who tried to swim from Cuba to Florida four times, was not successful for various conditions and elements that occurred, but absolutely on that fifth time made it all the way from Cuba to Florida. And her accomplishments and her entire sensibility of finding a way, she started a movement now called the EvaWalk. She just sort of like goes, okay, what's next? What else can I do? How do I reinvent myself over and over and over again? And I just look at someone with that spirit and that energy and that attitude. And she had a tough time in her childhood, aside from all the training, but she went through some really rough things on a very personal level. And you just, you read her story, you, you, you see her TED Talk and She's one of the most inspirational people I've ever met. I sort of feel like I now have her sitting on my shoulder every time I think I can't walk one more mile or, you know, do five more minutes on the treadmill. And I'm like, oh, what would Diane and I say right now? You can do it. Go on. One more mile. WWDD, right? (laughs) What would Diana do? Oh, my God. Exactly. Yeah. So she's become the little voice in my head that really, truly motivates me just to push myself an nth of a degree further. And what would you say are the biggest learnings that you came out of watching all these people who you interviewed? Is it a mindset? Is there a difference? Because I, I do a lot of talking to people in this area as well. And of course, people talk about, you know, the growth mindset and a set mindset and a closed mindset. Do you think it boils down just to that? Or what, what are your theories after having interviewed so many people? I think it's more than a mindset. I think it is about people having the ability to put a plan together. The mindset is necessary to to be able to put that plan together. But I think the critical part then becomes about making the plan, creating an accountability to yourself. Things like putting a date on the schedule to touch whatever that passion, that dream, that hobby, that reinvention is at least three times a week, whether it's to think about it, to do some research, to put a plan on paper, to write, to do the writing, to, to talk to a mentor, to practice it in some way. And I think the ability to commit to oneself it's sort of like the exercise routines, right? Like you really need to make a commitment and a date with yourself. 
And once you get into that rhythm, it carries you forward. It's that hurdle in the beginning that folks really need to learn how to discipline themselves. And the biggest issue there is that it feels selfish. It feels self-serving. It feels like you're not in service of everybody else, which is what we spend our lives doing. And understanding that it is perfectly acceptable, if not necessary, to be self-serving. And we all know the expression, put your oxygen mask on first. If you are happy and you are doing what you can and what you want with your life, you will be such a better mother, parent, wife, partner, husband, whatever that is, if you're taking care of yourself. So prioritizing ourselves, listening to what we really want from life and putting that roadmap in place is truly critical. And I think those are the tools that people that accomplish what they're trying to accomplish in life are doing on a regular basis. So you think it's a lot of mechanics? I do. I do. It takes a little of the right mindset, but beyond that, it is about the mechanics. It is tactically putting on the schedule. I am going to have an appointment with myself to do this on Monday, Thursday, and Saturday, and I'm going to steal one hour each of those days or three hours each of those days, depending on the circumstances of the life around you. We can prioritize. We can multitask. I mean, if you need to exercise and listen to motivating podcasts that are going to help teach you or show you or inspire you, then do the two together. Wake up half an hour earlier, take that walk and listen to that podcast at the same time. We constantly make excuses for the things that we think we want to do, but we're not getting done. And we have to find a way to create those priorities and commitments for ourselves. And that means literally putting things on the calendar. And on that note, that also means writing things down, writing things down, making your list, making your plan, and constantly going back to it and checking it and always being accountable to yourself. Have you seen any differences since you did men and women? Do you see any differences Mm -hmm. in how men approach it versus women? Um, Any differences in young versus old? Any other kinds of cross tabs that you see? Yeah, it's interesting. Women seem to be more willing to pull out a journal, make the notes, start writing things down, really sort of being accountable to themselves. There's a comfort level with that. Men feel that that's a little too woo-woo. They may be organizationally and structurally very strong in their skill sets, as, as men typically can be, but allowing themselves to recognize that they want to proactively go after it in a methodological way is not something we see a lot of. So we tend to see more of the desire to change something in our lives, the desire to reinvent, but we don't see men taking it on as readily. And I think a lot of men tend to, and it's hard to generalize because I know so many different men at different ends of the spectrum. And, you know, what I'm saying is counter to the, the 10, 12, 15 men in my book, but they tend to not want to make the change. Change is harder for men than it is for women. 
And I think that comes with the mindset that many have grown up with of being more responsible, having to carry the load, you know, clearly people in so many different circumstances in their lives and different ages are going to feel differently about it. But I do think we're seeing women more readily available. And it's so ironic, Leslie, because when I set out to write this book, I actually did not want it to be just a women's book. And everybody kept saying, oh, that's so great. Women are going to love it. And you've produced all these women conferences. And this is your circle. And you're a female entrepreneur. And you've been doing this for 30 years. In all honesty, I kept saying, it's the men that that need this guidebook. It's the men that don't sit around like women do saying, hey, let me share with you what I'm feeling and what I'd like to do and what do you think and how should I do it and who do you know? That's what women do. Men don't have those conversations. Respectfully, they sit at the bar, they get around the golf course, they grunt, they talk, they share, they banter, but they do not delve into their, quote, problems or their challenges. And what they end up doing is having a midlife crisis. I mean, I've got a a chapter called, it's not a midlife crisis, it's a cry for reinvention. And you take that guy, I've got a great story about a guy, Scott, the man with the violin, who picked up a violin for the first time in his life, you know, was, had a decent job. I think he was, you know, okay in his job as far as whether he was happy. But he picked up a violin on eBay, went on YouTube, took violin lessons, plays in the park across the street from his office every day. He's nurturing his soul. He's not going to feel the need to go blow up his life, buy a red Porsche, have an affair, do all these crazy, you know, sort of cliche things that we see people do. And I think for men, it's really important that they have a way to understand that they don't need to blow up their life if they're feeling frustrated or restless but they need to nurture their soul and they need to start to understand what are the things that will help them nurture their soul. It's interesting because I've run into men. I think I feel sadder for the men when I, who I talk to about reinvention because um, I see these really successful guys who are way past the time they can retire. They can do something else. They're being driven mad by their business and I had one say to me, oh, you're so lucky. You have an imagination of what else you could do. I have no other interests. Wow. And so I'm just going to continue doing this till I die. And I thought, wow, wow so that sad. is yeah. so sad. And what he does is really interesting, but he's clearly ready and his family's ready to do something else. And he has the means and he has, but they just don't know how to get off that yeah. hamster wheel. And the hamster wheel is very compelling for men. Maybe women are, maybe because we've been forced out every now and then, if you've had kids or you've had a break or um, maybe you've had the experience of getting off and getting on. But some of these, I mean, that was just really tragic to me. Did you see that? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's why I love this chapter so much because I feel like it really just, you know, it starts to scratch the surface of that conversation. And I really believe that there's probably a whole other book in that. There's probably a whole other study in that because I think we're finally starting to see, I mean, with all that's going on in the world, we're seeing a lot of people having to be, you know, forced out of their comfort zone. They're being forced to reinvent some part of their life, if not many pieces of their lives. And men included in this, I think more than ever, you know, they're being kind of like, you know, jolted off those comfy perch chairs in those top corner offices because 
of what's going on in the world. And all of a sudden they go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Someone's pulling the rug out from under me. What the heck am I going to do? They've never even had to think that way. Whereas you're right, women are sort of like, you know, we pivot. I've got to take on another project. I've got to take another layer on into my life. I've got to do this. I've got to be all of these things to everybody. It is our way. We're wired differently. We're built for it in a different way. But socially, I think we've been socialized to just know that, you know, like it or not, we're just going to have to do it. And we will. Talk a little. Oh, go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say, and men are not. I think they need more support from in this type of conversation. Talk a little bit about the role money plays, because I have a lot of women who say to me, (laughs) what do I do if I don't have a lot of money put put aside? They see that as the primary barrier. Of course, when I was at Moore, we did all kinds of stories about, you know, launching with $250 and doing a, you know, a website or things like that. Do you find that that's a major impediment or is that in your mind or you need to plan for it or what? Well, probably all of the above. I think depending on what that reinvention dream is. Yes, it may require a 10-year plan. It may require putting $5 in the coffee jar every day and foregoing your Starbucks coffee. It may require putting a business plan together. But I think there's small, if, if you're in that position, I think you have to function on two parallel paths. One is the long-term goal of reinvention and one is the short-term goal of reinvention. So if you want to open a chocolate store because that's always been your dream and your passion and you want to get out of that mundane job or two jobs and you're raising kids and you know you just look at your life and you go, there's not a chance I'm ever going to get to do what I really dream about. There may be ways. You may be able to go volunteer at a chocolate store one hour on a Saturday and have someone look after the children. You may be able to put a little extra money away knowing that in 10 years from now, you'll be able to wake up and have your dream. So I think looking at the long term and saying, yeah, I can't have it today, but there's no reason I can't have it in 10 years from now. And to know that you'll wake up in 10 years. I mean, look, my idea to write a book came up 10 years ago. Here I am. Whoops, 10 years later, I've got a book in my hand. If I had not kept putting one foot in front of the other and creating a website and writing blogs for Thrive Global and Huffington Post and doing interviews and building a community, I wouldn't have an audience today, nor the feedback, nor the content, or maybe even the motivation to have finished the book. And so I think that's a great lesson. It wasn't my intention when I set out, but life got in the way. I had a business to run, a family to raise, editors that came and went out of my life. And so I think it's really important to know that money doesn't have to be the roadblock. It may be a reason that it may take longer, but it is also an opportunity to utilize resources around you to find people that can help you, that can help you understand how to put a business plan together, how to grow a business small. You said, you're like, do I start a website? Yes. If that's relevant, do that. Start a shop on a website. Some of these things can be done in your pajamas at 11 o'clock at night when everybody's gone to bed and you're not working and you've done cleaning the house or you're done taking care of parents or whatever it is you have to do. There is a way, and you need to just know that there is a way, 
and that this could eventually happen and then put the plan together to get to that point, but be somewhat realistic and be prepared that things are going to shift. Things are going to come and go into your life that may affect that plan, but be prepared to pivot and that's okay. So in closing, Kath, where can people find you and find the book? The easiest way to find me is at the reinventionexchange.com. Information about my book, which is available on Apple Books and Amazon Books and paperback and ebook, are available there. I also ship to people directly if they'd like, if they want it signed or sent to other people. And we're hosting reinvention virtual chats two times a week on Zoom, and all the details on virtual chats are also on the website. We have incredible guests. Leslie is in my book, everybody, and has been on the virtual chats. And her story, which is pretty amazing about what you've gone through, is just, you know, probably one of the best stories. And um, I just love what I do every day. And for me, it's about being happy. And I love being able to inspire and help people find their true north and help them see that there is a way to have what they want in their lives. To me, that is the most wonderful thing that I can be doing right now, especially with the times that we're in and all the changes that people are going through. Um, I feel like our reinvention virtual chats become a little bit of business therapy and personal therapy because people are really tuning into other people's stories and getting to share and comment and connect and network and it creates an amazing environment. And the book grounds you in 30 stories and 26 power tools. And hopefully um, everyone that's listening will just be able to find their way to the happiness that they're seeking. Awesome. Well, the happiness for me would be finding that accent. I want the same accent. So down the road, (laughs) that's what makes it sound even more delicious. So thanks so much, Kathy. Appreciate Uh, the time. Thanks, Leslie. So thank you so much for joining us on Reinvent Yourself. This is Leslie Jane Seymour, and I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Kathy. And if you have, I hope you'll subscribe. And I hope you will pass us along to other people who may need insight or help with reinvention. That's really our game, helping you out, moving you forward, giving you ideas, giving you inspiration. And I hope also, if you like that, you'll come over and visit us at cubbyclub.com. We have a rockin' website, and we also have amazing webinars that will educate you, teach you, help you explore parts of your inner self and grow your self-discovery. We have a great group of very smart women and a few men um, who are intelligent, engaged, and they're not done until they decide they're done. So come join us, coveyclub.com, and be a part of it. It's a wonderful community. Take care.